You're from Australia and came all the way here to LA. How has it been that transition and being in the city and going after your career and your dreams? That's a very good question. I've never actually been asked before. It was a huge culture shock to go from the outback of Australia where I grew up on a farm to a huge city like LA with all the people and the different industries and cultures and energies of people who also have come from different places to achieve their dreams. And it took me a little while to find my place. Luckily, I had two years in the Bay Area before I moved to LA to kind of transition um, and land softly before being thrown into the madness of LA, because I think I would have been eaten alive, because LA is a different beast completely. Why? Why? Everyone says that, and I totally yeah. agree. Why do you think that coming in and not being ready, you'll get eaten alive? What does that actually mean? Yeah, I'll be real. There, LA is very predatory, um, especially with the entertainment industry and what we saw with the Me Too movement, especially for women um, and young women, young vulnerable women, like models and actresses who come to the city with big dreams. And especially if you don't know anyone and you're just you know, making friends with people that you've just met, um, it can be really dangerous because there's a lot of people that are ready to take advantage of young women in LA. And I mean, that's just everywhere though. It's not just LA, but it's especially focused in the entertainment industry because you've got this dangerous combination of vulnerable young women and powerful older men. And you, I've seen it happen all the time, just that power dynamic. And it's subtle at first. You think people are really trying to help you. They have the best intentions because you can put on such a great face for a certain amount of time, but then the truth starts to come out and it's really scary. From my point of view, for me as a young man, the trick is in how do I make relationships with young actresses, young models, because mm -hmm. we are going to be working together, but at the same time, don't come across as I'm trying to get anything from anyone or I'm doing any advance other than just the professional thing. So for us, I think it's tricky. It's not dangerous. Like I think a female young actress is in a lot more of a burnable place to try to make new connections and work with this director, this producer, all of these other people. But what are some things that you would tell to those guys, like people like me, like I'm a director, I go to a, do a music video, I have an agent, I say, okay, I need a model that fits this category. They send me like 25 different models. And like, if I wanted to, I could connect with all those women and like do whatever you would want to do. And I stay away from that. What are some tips that you would give people like me, guys, that maybe they just don't know when they're crossing the line or how should they go about creating an honest connection from a professional point of view without coming across like we or anything like that? Yeah, my response will be very general for just guys that are watching, just your audience. I mean, and for women too, this is just a very broad rule of just be a good person, lead with integrity, and honesty and transparency in your intentions and just be professional. Just be a good person and be professional. Those things seem so basic and so simple, but most people forget that when there might be attraction involved or a power dynamic. Um, it's easy to take advantage of the other person when you come from a position of power. So just, I think, staying humble and removing your ego is very important. 
Um, I don't want this to be a topic or a conversation of um, toxic masculinity because that's a, just a whole nother rabbit hole we don't need to go down. Um, and I love men, let's just say that. <laughs> like, absolutely love men. But I think um, a lot of men, and especially men in LA, because of the power dynamics, um, and a lot of people move to LA with huge goals and aspirations, so ego comes into it a lot. I think um, they have very sensitive and fragile egos. Um, and when people say that women are the more emotional sex, I have to disagree because I think men are way more emotional. No, women are more emotional. Than <laughs> We're not men. getting into this We're, discussion. Men We're are not. pretty simple. Men, men are, like we have goals and we want to do things. Maybe I guess if you're talking about ego in that realm, yes, we protect our ego more because I think it's like a biological thing. Like you having your ego as a man makes you work harder than the other guy because you want to get ahead. So like maybe there, yes, I agree that we're more focused on that. Well, then why is every mass shooter in America young white male? Well, but that's a completely, <laughs> exactly. like you, you went on a complete, we're talking about like in the film industry, entertainment, Yeah. that's one thing. But then going with the shooting of that, I, I honestly, I don't have enough information on that to make a yeah an educated opinion. Uh, knowing from what I know is most men are on the extreme of almost every area. So that's why you would probably find men in the extreme of, of that. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. But going back to the emotions with like our industry and all that, mm -hmm. I was having this conversation with uh, my, my friend Reggie. He's an actor, great guy, amazing man, one of my closest friends. I love him like a brother. And he's a man's man. Like the guy is black belt and Krav Maga. He's a beast. He can destroy anything. But he's also a very emotional person. And as an actor and me as a director, we need to use our emotions. But... I think there are some moments where it's better not to show emotion as a man, especially in our industry, controlling your emotions and how you come across can be part of your defense to not show all your cards all at once and not just give openly to any other person that might be competing with you. Uh, so I think we have that and we guard those emotions maybe better than female because women have a different way of connecting with people through more emotional connections with guys is a little bit more utilitarian it's like you meet another guy you're trying to figure out okay what are what are you in the whole scheme of things what are you going to go after am i going after the same thing can i help you can you help me like we're analyzing all of those mm -hmm. things so I don't know what has been your experience so far with that. Like, is it easier for you to make connections professionally with men or with women? Or to me, it does. It doesn't matter all that much. But I'm curious to see what your experience yeah. has been. Sadly, I think it has been mainly men. Um, maybe because they're more open as well, and maybe less competitive. Because um, what you're saying about people seeing each other as competition, maybe that's why. I have a lot more male friends um, because, but then I, it, it does beg the question, well, do they want something else? Do they have other intentions? Which sadly I have come up against time and time again. So I would prefer to work with and be surrounded by more women because I definitely trust them more. <laughs> I feel safer around them. But sadly there is less women in um, 
certain positions in the entertainment industry. Besides acting, there's very few female directors and producers. Um, we do, we're working on bringing a lot more to the spotlight with um, organizations like Women in Film that I'm part of. So luckily I did join their mentorship program and I was mentored by two very powerful, successful women, which I loved. And our mentee group was all women, um, obviously, because it's Women in Film. So I have interacted with and been mentored by women, but unfortunately, yeah, I just find that most events that I go to, um, most uh, rooms that I'm in with people in the entertainment industry is men. So I would like to shift that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think for us as guys, I love, at least I can only speak for myself, I love working with women. I've collaborated in many projects. I think almost all of my films, I think except the last film that I did that was a male actor, most of my films have been female leads. I love that. Yeah, because it's more interesting. Like, do I want to it's tell the story of a dude or do I want to tell the story of a, of a woman? Like, it's, it's We're more way inter more interesting to look at. Yeah, you're more interesting. Uh, now, guys, we make for better action movies. So I think... I would like to disagree with like you on that. With yeah, that. Shelley's the Ron, Angelina yeah. Jolie. You're right, but there's something about a guy punching another guy and like <laughs> obliterating his face. I would, I would love to change that for you. Okay, I think action women with females. So let's talk about action movies. Yeah. What's your favorite like action movie? I actually just recently watched Eon Flux, which I that's loved. pretty good film. Yeah, underrated. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, someone recently told me to watch that because I was describing the kind of roles that I want to play and the kind of movies I want to be in. And they suggested Eon Flux, and I watched it, and I was like, yes, this is just a, my whole vibe. It's a really good film. Mm -hmm. Now, I watched your film, uh, 40 Seconds, which is yeah. completely different from yeah. Eon Flux and all that. I know you're working on some more action-based things. But I think that that movie was very interesting in the way that you, for, we're going to leave the link in the description so people can watch yeah. the film. For that topic of mental health, dealing with suicide and things like that, I think the way you approached that was very smart and it wasn't like the full sadness, full-on depression, talking about uh, already depress depressive mm -hmm. like topic. So how was the process working on that film? I know you had female director, uh, female uh, DP, the, the film looks beautiful. How was the process there? I know you wrote some of the some of the script too. So tell me a little bit about that moment. Yeah, yeah, I had an amazing director and co-writer. Um, I was brewing this idea for a while because um, it's inspired by losing my best friend to suicide, Lindsay Hawley, and she was such inspiration to me. She was everything I looked up to, and I wanted to honor her in some way and tell her story. Although this is not her story, so I think I will continue to find ways to express her story. This is just one, I guess, shade of her story, but also mental health in general, um, and how people react to it and cope, and then can come through the other side um, on their journey. So yeah, I wrote an initial script that my director, Anissa, then co-edited with me, and we, we changed it a lot, so it was not at all <laughs> what I had originally written, but it, it had the same vein and the same feeling and the same journey. So then we had a few different uh, edits, rewrites, and I wasn't even pitching the story to anyone, I was more just telling the story and telling my story. 
And I just got introduced to the right people who also believed in it, wanted to tell a similar story, but they come from business or not related to the film industry at all, but it really aligned with them. And then I also partnered with a mental health organization who helped fund my film. So yeah, I had support through um, a few different channels to get funding. And then I found out that with indie filmmaking, you kind of have to do everything yourself. So um, I learned a lot about um, finding locations, crafty, um, getting, you know, catering, everything <laughs> from like A to Z I learned about, which was amazing. I had a really great team too, but there's only so many people you can hire with the indie film budget. So yeah, I really learned a lot about filmmaking, being on set, being behind the camera, which I love because although acting will always be number one, I think it's really important for an actor to diversify their career and learn about producing, writing, um, just being on set to learn about how things move around and everyone's different roles. And then the journey itself of being on set was very emotional because it is based on losing my best friend and I really tapped into that for the emotional world. And I would listen to a song in particular that would trigger memories with Lindsay. And all I would have to do is just listen to that song, close my eyes, kind of separate myself a little bit from people on set so, just so I could be in my own energy. And then instantly, as soon as I listened to that song, it triggered the memories. And if I needed a little extra, I would just look at a picture of her and it was just gone. So my emotions were very real and raw. And so that can be dangerous, acting that way when you go like method and really tapping into your own experiences because you have to learn how to compartmentalize that and keep it on set. Because I did another movie, a psychological thriller, where I really went home with it and I was having trouble sleeping. I was, it was affecting my mental health and I could see how um, someone like Heath Ledger with the Joker role, could re it destroyed him because when you dive into a character that deep, you can lose yourself so easily. So I had to learn about disconnecting. And that first movie, the psychological thriller that I did, Artful Gambit, um, that taught me that lesson. And so with this film, I really learned to, I guess, leave the work in the day and then come home and reset and clear. Yeah, that's very tricky. Mm -hmm. Did you find that by making that film, were you inspired to want to produce and, and be behind the camera more or less? Yeah, more, definitely more. more with, you know, I learned lessons along the way, but yeah, definitely more. Right. So what are you working on right now? Yes, I'm actually, I guess, focusing a little bit more on acting now. I do voiceover for an animated NFT series called The Red Ape Family. You work on the Red A family? You know it? I didn't know that. Yeah. I know about it. Okay, cool. I, I went to the, during the NFTLA, I went to the, a, the Desperate Ape Wives party. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was at the party too. Oh. How did we not meet? Yeah, I, I went there with a friend and we had several people from uh, Impact Theory came over too. And they had like the exhibit with all the things. Yeah. I met the, the guy that, that runs the Yeah, the gardener. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's so cool. That's interesting. Yeah, I remember them telling me about the that they were going to, they bought they bought two uh, boar apes and then they had two wives and then they were going to do the series and they were going to do all this thing. So, so tell me about that. So for people who don't understand, uh, NFTs are changing everything in the entertainment mm -hmm. and tech and commerce and probably every other area, but it's still very early on. So. Tell me about this project specifically and what has been the, the experience working on that. Yeah, 
So I will caveat with saying, I don't know if this is 100% because I need to do more research and this is like the lion of NFTs, do your own research. But I believe they are, the Red 8 family is the very first animated NFT series. Um, somebody did try and dispute it with me yesterday. That's why I'm saying I need to really dig deep. It doesn't matter <laughs> who's first, who's second. Like, it but matter. either way, we're one of the very first, if not the first animated NFT series. So it's really exciting because as an actor and a filmmaker, I purchase NFTs based on their IP. Right. So I will buy characters and avatars that I could play doing voiceover because I think there's such power in owning the rights to these really interesting um, they're not just characters, but they live in a world because quite often the NFT collection has its own lore and storylines. So you're really buying into that. And so you already have a built-in audience with their community, which is really active on Twitter and Discord. And so they're ready to watch things online as well. They're very, you know, streaming forward. Yeah. <laughs> so they're already, you know, plugged in. Um, so creating a series that lives on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that, they're ready to go and tune into it. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really exciting new frontier we're yeah. stepping into. So I've been involved with NFTs like for a while now and working for Impact Theory, we have a, the entire company shifted. Uh, Tom said, okay, this is how we're gonna do everything. From now wow. on, everything is gonna be uh, tied into an NFT. The IP is going to be connected to NFTs, all of that. Brilliant. So. I can see the appeal and I can see how it feels revolutionary and new and exciting and sexy and like all of this. But I'm still skeptic in the part where people think that NFTs will completely revolutionize and change everything. So I, I'm curious to see what you think. The methods of production are still going to be based on a traditional model where you have very skilled people who have to get paid to do a specific job and you need this entire ecosystem of actors, producers, editors, filmmakers and all people, agents and distribution. And so I do see how the NFT can bring more people closer into making the IP, but at the same time, you need some kind of creative vision of someone that says, I'm going to do this some company that is going to distribute that, some studio that is going to employ all of their people to make the thing happen. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's just going to build off the previous model. I don't think it will ever replace it. I think just like Web3, which is this new evolution of the internet from Web2, which was social media platforms, and Web1, which was the beginning of the internet. So. Just like Web2, which is social media platforms and websites and apps, didn't replace the internet, it built on the internet. It was part of the internet, and Web3 will build on that even further. So I don't think anything in Web3 which involves NFTs, cryptos, and the metaverse, I don't think any of that is going to take... It might take some viewership and you know, some members of society away from Instagram, but it's never going to replace Instagram, I don't think. Who knows, anything's possible these days. But I don't think it's gonna replace anything. I think it's just gonna to add to something that already exists and makes it better because it'll be more interactive now. I think it'll be way more diverse because we're giving a lot more people opportunities around the world because we're all connected virtually now. Um, so what I'm seeing is in the Film 3 space, which is film and Web 3, we're seeing people being able to purchase an NFT, 
like one of the Flinch characters from the Flinch film franchise and audition and they could be in Africa, Asia, Europe, anywhere. They don't have to live in LA anymore to audition for movies. So I see it being a more diverse, inclusive world. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you something. Uh, you were telling me about your travels and all the different places that you have lived and all that. Uh, and this is a question that I, I just like and people ask me this question a lot. Do you still think that we need to be in LA to make it as a professional in the mainstream entertainment and media? I would like to think so because I just moved back here. <laughs> so I really hope so. I really hope my extremely ridiculous rent prices are, you know, going somewhere beneficial. Um, but if I'm being real, I, to a certain extent, I don't think so. I think you can still enter the entertainment industry now and um, make an impact being anywhere in the world, as long as you have good internet connection and you're really dedicated to finding a community and being really present in it. Um, but I think to really, really make it as far as if you want to be A-list, Oscar award-winning actor, actually maybe more just so the acting and being in front of the camera because I think a lot of, we're seeing a lot of really great cinematographers and directors come out of Mexico um, and a lot of Oscar award-winning filmmakers aren't American or aren't US-based. But I think to be in front of the camera, I think as an actor, you have to be in LA because you're, you have to still do a lot of networking. You still have to be really present. Because for instance, my manager, he knows I'm a good actor, but it wasn't until I was in front of him doing a self-tape audition that he was, I think it, it's an energetic thing. You percent. truly have to feel someone's energy. And, he, and then he witnessed it in person. And he was like, I don't know why I'm not pushing you harder. Now that you're back in LA, I'm gonna push you so hard. And I was like, why didn't you do this earlier, bro? Like, you've always known I'm good, but no, you really do have to be present because they have to feel your energy. They want to, you also need to prove that you're worthy, which is like such a dumb thing. And I instantly regretted even saying that, but it is actually true in this industry. You have to show up and you have to be so present to prove to everyone that you're um, a you know, hardworking, dedicated person in this space. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the reason why I, um I moved here and I'm still here and I'm trying to meet more people as I can. And that was one of the reasons with the podcast too that I told you, I want to be able to create fast, deep connections with people that I admire who are operating at a higher level. And I don't think you can do that if you're far away. I have some friends and I stay connected with people in Atlanta, in New York, here in Miami. I have friends all over because I've been all over the place, but there is something, there is something about spending real time with people that in our industry, collaboration and everything comes out of that mm -hmm. seat. And I think the initial connection is way stronger if it happens in person. Later on, if the person is traveling, they relocate, something happens, but you still have that connection. Mm. So, Yeah, you're onto something there because a lot of, like you said, ideas will grow out of spontaneous conversation. And I have found that just by being around someone, something organic will pop up, something very natural in conversation. And especially in a casual conversation when you're just spending a lot of time with someone, something will come up that you wouldn't have thought of before that is a brilliant idea, whether it's a movie or a business, um, that you wouldn't have stumbled across just by a phone conversation or even a FaceTime, which feels very 
constructed and usually, you know, goes down a particular path. Whereas when you're with someone in person, you never know what can come up. Now, I want to keep talking about that a little bit more because my goal with these questions right now is in five years when you're a big actress, there's going to be that 13-year-old girl that is going to look your name up because she wants to be an actress too. So what would you tell that 13-year-old girl who's trying to get started as an actress and she's dreaming about coming to LA and all that? So far, what is the biggest thing that you think have helped you in your career to be where you are today? Make your own movies. <laughs> Don't wait for anyone to give you a role because it just rarely happens. Um, I think it was Mark Ruffalo auditioned 300 times before he got the Hulk role. So you have to really, really <laughs> hustle and grind and get a lot of rejection before you book that big role. And so as you're, and you're never just waiting well, hopefully you're not just waiting, otherwise you're probably not going to make it. <laughs> but you're never just, you know, sitting around and a job just pops into your lap. It's not really like those days where I remember when I first got to Hollywood the, at the Hollywood and Highland Center, there's a lot of famous quotes and stories on the ground that you can walk along and see, and it's really cool to see people's journeys. Um, and I remember seeing once some, I can't remember what actress was discovered in like a, pharmacy or something you know she just walked in she was just discovered those days are not here anymore like we have way too much competition there's so much talent especially because we're so digitally connected that someone in the midwest can be auditioning for a role someone in australia can be auditioning for a role so they're not just gonna find you on the street anymore so to be seen to be noticed to be heard and um i think also it gives you a lot of respect as an actor is to go create your own content that's really smart. Mm -hmm. Now, I see many actors that struggle with that. Uh, I agree with your advice, but at the same time, I disagree in some aspects because I have seen actors spin their wheels and spend so much time and money and energy trying to do a short mm -hmm. only to come out with a half-baked, kind of not great piece of content. So I think it's really difficult. I think I would follow that advice if you, as an actor, can get connected to a filmmaker yes. that can at least guide you and hold your hand, basically, because there's a lot that goes into a good piece of film. It's not just, oh, you're a great actor, you just place the mm. camera there. You have sound, location, food, the camera, lenses, lighting, like there's a lot. So I'm always afraid of actors because I hear this advice very often and I think in your case I watch your film it's an amazing film it's really good but for every one good film that actors put together there's probably like 10 or 15 bad films yeah. <laughs> that actors put together so I think it is tricky because I agree that you need to be working on things but sometimes you need to know where to put your energy towards mm -hmm. um, well the trick there is making sure it's well executed so yeah don't go out as an actor and think you can do it all yourself you just can't and if you do it means you're very very talented and you're part of the 0.1 percent of actors who can do it all which is you know like props to you if you could do that but for the most part um you definitely need your team because making a movie it requires a village and yeah, you have to find a great director to work with or a great producer. You have to have a great team. So 
me saying go make a movie doesn't mean go make any movie just to make it. No, you have to make a great movie. You yeah. can't just make a movie just to have it. Otherwise, like you said, it'll be half-baked and then it represents you poorly. Mm -hmm. And then it could actually be more damaging and detrimental. So <laughs> my best advice is if you can, just don't be an actor. Just like avoid it at all costs because people think it's glamorous, but it's just like, it is not. It is so much hard work, so much rejection, so much heartbreak. I mean, I booked a film last year while I was in Australia during the lockdowns. I got an agent in Sydney and I booked a big HBO film with Natalie Portman and and then it canceled two minutes, uh, two minutes, imagine. Uh, it canceled two weeks before filming and the director had been there for three months. I had been set to do this for, you know, a month and it was during lockdowns and it was really depressing already and you get your sight set on something that you think is going to be your big break and then it just falls apart in front of you and this happens time and time again you hear these stories in Hollywood and it's heartbreaking but you have to keep moving you have to keep going even though you're constantly you know tossed aside and you feel like you're kicked while you're down um so you have to really really want it and really love it yeah I think that's so thank you for saying that because that's very honest and I think for actors it's way harder than for filmmakers because for me, I can go and make a commercial about like a restaurant or something and get paid. I, it doesn't matter like my eyes are not blue or my hair is not uh, blonde or like I'm not the right height or whatever. It's like I can work on 20 different projects really nearly because it doesn't matter how I look or how I sound or my accent. So how do you get through all of that? Because you're right, it's very hard. You have to have a full life. And that wasn't something I realized, even though, again, it seems so simple and so straightforward, like, go live a full life. But a lot of people in L.A., and especially actors and models and, um, and people just generally in the entertainment industry feel like you have to always be in L.A., otherwise you'll miss an opportunity. Sometimes you will, but actually, more often than not, you end up sticking around until you just get so depressed or miserable or angry or resentful or bitter that you lose sight of what you moved there for anyway in the beginning, which is to play make-believe for the rest of your life, to be a big kid, to create these beautiful imaginary worlds. And for me, I really want to be in period pieces or futuristic films or sci-fis, fantasies, because I want to be in a world that doesn't currently exist in my reality. So you have to, find, you have to tap back into that magic. And so for me, it was to travel the world. And I backpacked through Southeast Asia, Uganda. I traveled Europe, I've uh, been to Central America. So traveling was really important for me to see the rest of the world, the struggles that different people go through, the beauty that other people experience, the joy that you can get out of just the simple things in life. And it told me a lot of gratitude because there's a lot of people that have it much harder than us in LA or America in general and are much happier. So what are you planning on working on in the future, like if you could do anything, what would be that project or what would you like to create? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I have a lot of goals, <laughs> a lot of big things I want to work on. Um, ultimately, though, I want to have a female-based production company that operates on the blockchain. So I want my, fun my films to be funded by um, NFTs or crypto, combination of both perhaps. And obviously I'll still include traditional aspects of a production company and will no doubt need some fiat or some 
cash. Um, but I really want it to be heavily rooted in Web3. Um, and I want to hire mainly women. Um, I won't be sexist. Maybe some guys will get a job, but like... More maybe, <laughs> maybe some maybe. guys will get a job. Maybe they can be my So assistant. why is that? Why do you want to make it all female? Because I'm, I'm curious. I, I want as many females as possible working in the film industry. Mm -hmm. But I think when we try to correct and then it's like, no, it has to be all female, then it's the same issue as, no, it's all males. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious why you want to go that route. Yeah, no, I'm definitely being facetious. We'll definitely keep okay. some some men around, you know. Okay. <laughs> we'll definitely, you know, have some guys, but I want it to be predominantly female or more female focused just because I feel like for so long we haven't had that opportunity. Um, And yeah, for instance, that came up when I'm now working for an artist DAO. So DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And it's essentially a community where everyone can vote on different projects or investments. Um, you can be investing in NFT art, for instance. Um, and so with my DAO, it's even though it was founded by a man, um, Nick, he and he comes from tech and he has his own web three tech companies as well and i really loved he also has a philanthropic aspect to the dow which i loved he's mainly hired women and there's a few guys on the team but um it's really female focused because he wants to empower women in web three um because women were not very empowered in tech um before or web two and so when i actually approached him to work together it was for nft nyc i wanted to go as you know, with a project, with a job. I didn't want to go just to attend. I offered to be his assistant and he actually said, no, I want to empower women in Web3. I'd rather hire a man be my assistant and you can run strategic partnerships. So that was really inspiring for me to see a man step up and want to give women that position. And so when we were looking for a social media person, um, I posted on Twitter about finding a female social media person and some guys got a little salty about that. But the fact is we can't complain as women about women not having positions in tech and entertainment as well if we're not giving women the opportunities. So it's really important for me to hire and include women. So how was your experience with NFT NYC? I was there last year. I couldn't attend in June, but I saw some of your pictures and stuff. It seemed like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. It's probably the most fun um, conference I've ever been part of. And I've done a lot because I used to do a lot of ambassador work and promotional modeling. So I've worked a lot of conferences, I've attended them, worked a lot of events. And this was so much fun because you're blending finance, tech, art, um, music. You're, you're blending so many different elements together and you're getting like the creme de la creme of every industry because I think you have to be not only talented to make an impact in this space, but also um, really open-minded and creative. And a little crazy too. And a little crazy, which I love, because that's me. <laughs> a little yeah, you have to be a little crazy, because yeah. this is such a risk. It's such a new space. So yeah, it was just so much fun, but it was pure chaos. I mean, I never thought I could get so tired from going to events, but it was just nonstop. But great networking. Yeah, met really great people, learned a lot. Great. So. I want to put you on the spot. If you had to explain to someone that knows nothing about NFTs, what would be the EC 15 second elevator pitch? I actually narrow it down to like two words, digital asset. Okay. <laughs> um, but I know it has to be expanded upon more because that is way too broad. Um, so yeah, it's a digital asset based on the blockchain. Um, but it, 
So the part that I am still stumbling on that I have to refine is that I was recently educated on. So when somebody told me that the NFT itself is not written on the blockchain, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like a receipt. Does that ring any bells to you? Well, the NFT is written on the blockchain. That's what makes it to be on the blockchain. It can serve as an NFT, as a, the NFT can serve as a receipt of purchase of either a digital asset, a membership, or whatever it is that you want to address it to. I think I need to do more research on this because the person that told me this is disputing that fact. I guess maybe he's referring to the technical place where the NFT art image is stored. Mm, yeah. Because the image can be stored on another server. So when you're calling that NFT, the picture is saved on an Amazon server and it shows up and you see it, but that is referencing a transaction that was made on the blockchain. Yes, I think that's the part. Yeah, okay. Maybe that's what he's referring to. Yes. But I think your definition of is a digital asset, when you think of it like that, yeah. I guess it just goes a level higher where that asset now can be 10 different things. It can be a picture, so it's a piece of art. It can be a receipt that you purchase, a tick, and it can also be a ticket to go to an event. It can also serve as a membership to go somewhere. It could also be a token that allows you to have access to a specific experience. Mm -hmm. And it can also be part of a DAO that gives you ownership of a bigger thing. So that's where it gets so convoluted and complicated. Mm -hmm. And every project has a different application of what the NFT as a whole could be used as. And it's interesting that people are thinking that in film, yeah, the NFT is going to change all of it and da, da, da. Uh, yes and no. You still have to raise money. People have to buy something. You take that money, you go and watch them. It's almost like a a cool way of packaging a ticket to watch a movie, mm -hmm. but I just don't want people to be misled to think that this is going to revolutionize everything. It's just making a piece of it different and maybe better, but you still have to figure out a way to get agents and get contracts and do everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have those doubts, I guess, not doubts, but to be grounded in that reality. Otherwise, we are definitely going to be way too delusional. <laughs> yeah, because I run into people that say, oh, yeah, we're doing this film NFT thing. Da, da, da. And I'm thinking, well, you still have to convince thousands of people to give you actual money to go and do your movie. Just because now you have a new way of collecting that money doesn't mean that you're getting over the hurdle of convincing people to throw money at uh, an idea that you have that is always hard to execute. But it's super exciting that now we have different ways of doing that. So if people use it correctly, they can do a lot of amazing things. So I wanted to go back to a, a more basic question uh, because a lot of, I have a lot of actors that ask me, how do you go about getting your agent and getting like the, the nitty gritty of like the operational side of acting? Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> it's always the hardest part because to get an agent in... And not just in, in LA, in any market, you need some experience and you need some footage to show that you can act. So you need a reel um, or clips at least of you acting. 
but then people are starting think that, well, I need an agent first to get those jobs, to get those clips. So it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. This is where it involves a little bit of entrepreneurship <laughs> as an actor, because you have to go out there and do the groundwork before people will believe in you because you have to show that you believe in yourself enough to either invest in a lot of production houses will do make your own reel. Now that is not um, highly looked upon for actors who are going out for huge auditions because it shows that you haven't had any real experience on set, but it can be useful for getting an agent who then gets you that experience on set. So it's a good, more of a beginner's tool is to go get a reel made um, in a studio. So you have the reel or you have the footage or you have clips and you can do that from acting class or improv. There's a lot of different ways you can get that footage. Um, you definitely have to have some training. So going to an acting class is pretty simple because some of them do require an audition. Like I just auditioned for the groundlings. So you had to audition for the acting class. Yes, but that is very rare. But yeah, it, I've never it's, heard of that. Before. Yeah, that's because the Groundlings is a really renowned improv school that a lot of Saturday Night Live alumni come from, um, like Will Ferrell and Melissa McCarthy, and they hold or they host Saturday Night Live auditions also. So you have to prove that you've got the chops to make it into that kind of school because you're representing the school. Then that's rare. Most schools don't have an audition process, you just pay, they'll happily accept your money and happily have you attend. Um, but yeah, I recently got into the Groundlings after my audition. So hopefully you will be seeing me on Saturday Night Live soon. Congrats, <laughs> that's awesome. So is there any like film project that you're working on like right now that we can get some like little inside scoop? Yes, yeah, so I recently signed a three picture deal. It was my first time doing that. Um, and the first film coming up on the slate is called Deceit. And it's really exciting because I get to play a character. Her name's Baddie, which I totally did. Baddie? Baddie. I get to be a baddie, a real baddie. <laughs> and um, yeah, she actually helps solve crimes using the blockchain. So it's totally aligned with what I'm passionate about. Okay. Um, and just so many elements of her life is things that I'm dealing with. Um, and so we actually have a current campaign. So I'll make sure to send you the link. We'll put it in the show notes so y'all can check it out, and we'll include some more info in the show notes. Awesome. So, what happens with your character? Like, what's the what's the deal? Can you tell us? Like, yeah, I can tell you some elements of it because my director Noah is very. I mean, I just I don't even know how to explain. Like, he's so in depth and detailed, and he's been working on this for ten years, and this it's so brilliant what he's put together. And I will not be able to verbalize it well enough in a short amount of time. His entire, it's called a neo-noir cinematic universe that he's building. And so each character in each film is going to tie in. It's almost like a reverse what um, Avengers did when, you know, you, you watched Avengers and then there was Black Widow that came out of it. Well, this is almost reverse engineering that where you have these individual films that then all come together. The characters will all be in a feature film together. So um, my character, Batty, is dealing with a narcissistic boyfriend and it's actually emotional abuse because it's the way that, um, you know, there's a lot of different elements that I have found, I've experienced recently, especially moving to LA, um, with narciss narcissism, toxic masculinity, 
and um, emotional manipulation. So these are things that she's dealing with on the side with her partner on top of the crimes that she's solving. And it's really interesting to explore. I love psychological thrillers. I, I'm just so fascinated with the way that the mind works and how everyone's brain functions differently. So it's very, it's going to be very heady. Um, it's not classified as psychological thriller, but it has those elements in it, which I really dig. That's pretty cool. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see. Thank you. Very active on, on social media. And I love what you just said of thinking about acting with an entrepreneurship mindset. Mm -hmm. How do you handle your social media? What's your take on that? And what are some good things that come out of it? Some bad things that come out of it? Yeah. So I guess you, you need to choose your platform with social media. You can, if you're very talented, do them all well. But like I said before, when it comes to making your own movies as an actor, that's very, um, people, yeah, very rarely can do it all well as far as every social media platform. For me, I've realized that the audio apps are where I flourish the most because we can have conversations and I can host my own shows. Um, so Clubhouse was really good for me. I grew more on Clubhouse in six months than I did 14 years on Instagram. Wow. So I really found my niche there and I hosted a show for six months called Could Your Life Be a Movie? So I love to ask people about their lives and find out where they come from and how they got to where they are today. Um, so that was really great, but then Clubhouse didn't really, I mean, it did take off, but then it kind of went away when the lockdowns lifted because people really wanted that connection. And as soon as we had it back in person, I found that um, Clubhouse wasn't as popular, but I still, you know, it holds a special like place it. in my heart. Yeah, for me, when, when I, we were here having a, a dinner party with some actor friends, and I remember this actress shows me Clubhouse, and from the beginning, I was like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I felt that it was going to be something temporary. Now, there's so many people that built huge audiences on it. Maybe I was too lazy to like get into it, mm -hmm. but I'm a visual person. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to do that, I might as well do just an Instagram live or a YouTube live or something like that. Uh, but it's interesting how we all had to be inside and then we went almost back to a more radio version of things where you could listen passive and have this almost barriers are coming down and you're listening to all these people and you're openly sharing a lot of things because you don't have to worry about how you look or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then we go back to the same cycle of like, no, we want to see people in person and we want to like worry about how we look and all of that. So it's, it's crazy how social media, I guess it goes up and down and yeah. back and around. I loved it. I loved Clubhouse so much and it was so euphoric during certain phases when we were just so connected and people were so generous and open and giving. John Legere, he was a former CEO of T-Mobile, would pop into a room, hear someone struggle, they needed medical expenses for an operation and he would just wire them $20,000. Wow. It was just mind blowing the things you would witness and be present to and be involved in. And the celebrities that would pop in after someone mentioned them because somebody else knew them, you know, it was just wild what could happen. Um, but I do see that evolve into what Twitter spaces are now. It's a little different. I feel like Twitter spaces are a lot more structured and formal, mm -hmm. which is good because Clubhouse could get ratchet. <laughs> Clubhouse got crazy sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it, and it was a lot of fun, I'll be honest. But um, yeah, I can see now with Twitter spaces how Clubhouse really helped that grow.
Do you think Instagram is kind of going away? I think so, just because people are so frustrated with the algorithms, with the lack of connection. It's so fake because everyone edits their pictures. I actually don't because <laughs> I'm just too lazy. Um, but I might put a filter maybe sometimes. Um, but for the most part, people will edit their images. So you're not even seeing reality and you're only seeing the highlight reel. I try and every once in a while post something really raw and vulnerable and painful, something that's happened to me or how I feel, just to remind people that just because I'm posting all the time and people think I'm really happy for the most part, like the past year, year and a half, but definitely most of last year, I was in a deep depression, but nobody would have known by looking at my Instagram because yeah. I'm only posting the great things or what looks like great, but it doesn't mean that I'm feeling great. So I personally am not a fan of Instagram. I do like how it, as an actor and a model, it's like your visual portfolio and as a filmmaker, it's a really great way of displaying that, but we have to see it just for that and stop thinking that just because we're connected with people, we know what's going on with their lives because a lot of people will get upset that I don't text them back, but I'm posting and maybe this is something I have to work through, but I post as a way to feel okay, feel normal because I'm presenting as normal and I'm presenting as I'm doing well. And for a moment, it does make me feel better because I'm seeing myself through their lens. So that's something to unpack. Yeah, that's very deep. Uh, for me, when I feel bad, I don't post. Mm. I, I kind of do the opposite. I, so I will have bursts where like I'm feeling great and then I post like crazy. And then when I'm feeling bad, I just go sit there and work or mm. I go in my room and I sleep or I'll go yeah. to the gym and like try to feel better like doing that. Uh, I think the brain doesn't know the difference when you're visually seeing something or someone that looks great and happy. We don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. So the reason why people think that everything is fine is because visually if you're seeing everything being fine and it's sad because close friends of yours could be going through something really terrible and you just don't have a way of knowing. Yeah, that's what happened with my friend who died by suicide. Everyone thought she was just doing great. And she was on paper or theoretically she was doing great. She was, I mean, she was so impressive. She was running an eco-reserve project with Richard Branson on Nicker Island. She was friends with Tony Shea who founded Zappos. Um, she just knew incredible people, was doing amazing things all around the world. Um, but inside she was really struggling. And that's how I can really relate to her is that I do the same thing. I will present to be okay because that's the mask that I want everyone to see me as, but nobody really knows what's happening and how I feel inside. So yeah, it's dangerous. It's not, it's definitely not healthy to do that, but it's, for me, it's a coping mechanism. So how long ago did you pass away? Uh, 2017. So in a few years, mm -hmm. does it still get to you like every now and then? Oh yeah, all the time. Like even just now thinking about it makes me want to cry, but you have to keep moving on. You have to keep going because I contemplated joining her. I didn't want to be here anymore after I lost her. And I thought if I'm feeling this way, this pain from her, if I did the same, I'm creating a ripple effect of pain. I'm going to continue to create more pain and I don't want anyone to go through what I did. Yeah, I haven't experienced that in my life yet. Uh, 
I had someone, when I was about 15, we had a friend in our friend group that was in a car accident and she died. And it was very traumatic for, like, we had a group of young kids. We were coming out of, in, in Cuba, they celebrate, like, when you turn 15, they make this big party and, like, you have like couples and all the kids, you know, like they're, they celebrate the lady and then there's like four or five guys and girls and we do a dance and Is all it that. Quince like a quinceanera, yeah. Uh, and it was right after that, like we were coming out of the venue and she stepped onto the street and she got hit by a car. Oh my goodness. So it was very traumatic because we were all very young and we were like close. We were all in church. So we used to do like theater together and we had like groups and all of that. So that's the closest I've experienced to that. I don't know how I would react if like a close friend of mine committed suicide. Because I, th I think the main thing would be guilt just feeling like I didn't do what I had to do to be there for that person and to like even know. Uh, but I know like the last couple of years have been really hard for me too. And I've been depressed at times and I've been able to get out of it. And I think it's such a, a small difference between being okay and being really bad. Right. Mm -hmm. like, it's such a fine line. I don't know if it's like, <laughs> like chemical imbalance but yeah I definitely feel that a little bit of that yeah a little bit of that comes from chemical imbalance like you're 100% true it's dangerous because you don't know so yes M mental health um is actually so much more than just your mental um it encompasses so much more it encompasses physical health because when we move our bodies, I mean, I just experienced this recently because I hadn't worked out in six weeks. And when I worked out, I just felt so amazing after it, getting your endorphins going. So it's physical health. It's your sleep. It's your diet. It's your thinking, um, the content you're consuming. It's the friends you keep. It's the influences you have around you. There's so many more elements at play for mental health than just like how your brain is doing um, that people don't realize it's very, you have to have a very holistic approach. Well, I really enjoyed your film, uh, 40 Seconds, and there are some stats there at the end that it's almost like a person commits suicide every 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that was really sad, but I'm really proud for what you're doing with the film and everything that you're gonna keep uh, doing and your work and all that. So thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you can send it over to a friend and we'll see you in another one.